you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your presence, to enjoy your company, to hear your word. I pray, God, that you will use me, Lord, to communicate what you want to get across today. And I thank you for each person here. They're a part of my family, the family of God. And I pray, God, it will draw closer to you now and to each other and hear your words of instruction for us today as we seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, our, our presentation this afternoon, uh, or this evening now, is called Disciple Makers. And when you think of making disciples, there is usually a verse in the Bible that our minds immediately run to. I want to welcome those of you that just came in. If you have a handout, that's great. If you don't have a handout, I want to make sure, you, make sure that you have one. You don't have a handout? Here you go. Here you go. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Which church are you guys coming from? Uh, Washington, Washington yeah, Ghanaian. Ghanaian. Wonderful. I hope I, in my lifetime, I hope I get a chance to visit that country. I'd love to visit. Again, this is my wife in the back, Deidre Cousins, the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And uh, we have the privilege of doing this together. And so um, I, I do not have an additional pen. I wish I did. If there is someone that has an additional pen, an extra pen or pencil you want to share. Uh, oh, wait, actually, wait. Nope. Yes, I do. I do have an extra pen. Here you go, sir. There you go. No problem. And you can have it if you, if you want. All right. When we think of disciple-making, our minds immediately go to a scene in Scripture in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. I believe I'm concluding at, yes, at 7, uh, 7.50. 7.50, good. I want to be obedient to time. Good, we have a good amount of time. We immediately go to the Great Commission. The Great Commission, where Jesus commands us under the authority of him as the resurrected Lord. Under his authority, he now commands us to go and make disciples. Let's just quickly go through this chapter or these few verses together. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're just going to quickly do a short Bible study to lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about. Um, you may want to use your written word or your electronic word, maybe in your devices, or look on the screen. But let's just quickly read this, this, these few verses. In Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so now what he gets ready to say is under his authority as the risen Christ, as God in flesh, he says, Go therefore, go therefore and what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all the Adventists in the room said, Amen. Amen. We love when we hear about baptisms. We celebrate baptisms, and we should, rightfully so, when we see people make that commitment to Jesus Christ. But the work did not end at the baptism. Jesus continues, and I'm glad it's a comma and not a period. He goes on and he says, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you, even to the very end of the age. I love how it ends. It almost sounds like the end of a perfect novel, doesn't it? The end of a beautiful story, lo, I'm with you, to the very ends of the age. And that has significance to us who are now living at the end of the age. What I love about the Gospel of Matthew 
is that the Gospel of Matthew, this is an academic term, it is called an inclusio. In other words, the Gospel, the book, ends the way it begins. In Matthew chapter 1, he says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. It ends the way it begins. He says, lo, I, Emmanuel, am with you to the very end of the age. Now, what's really interesting about that is that the context by which he says that he is with us is in the context of making disciples. He's saying to us that there's a very extra sense of his nearness, the nearness of his presence as we go about making disciples for him. As we co-labor with him to do what he did while he was here, we will sense in a very special way that he's with us. And so here's what I want you to do. I would like for you just to briefly, you're near some people right now, I would like for you just to form groups of maybe three or two, whoever's near you, and just quickly, let's just go through, take one minute, we're just going to do this very quickly, discuss what does evangelism look like in the text, and what does discipleship look like in that text. Just take one minute, real quick, those who are right next to you, you may want to get a little close to them, go right ahead. And just discuss briefly, what does evangelism look like in the text? What does discipleship look like in the text? Nobody in here will bite. Feel free to turn around if you want. But just take 60 seconds. What does evangelism look like? What does discipleship look like? I want to welcome you uh, who just joined us. Verses 18 to 20. What does evangelism look like in that text? What does discipleship look like in that text? All right, all right. Let me interrupt you briefly. I apologize, but we do have a lot to cover. So I want to just quickly gather from you just a little bit, maybe two volunteers, maybe, on, maybe one from this side, one from this side. Can someone on this side of the room tell me, what does evangelism look like for you in that text? Verses 18 to 20. Anybody want to just quickly share on this side? What does evangelism look like to you based on the text? You're still... Preaching the gospel, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? And you want the text someone said? Sharing the word. Sharing the word, proclamation, yes. Sharing the word, proclamation. Okay, so we hear evangelism, we see it as the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, right? The everlasting gospel. What does discipleship look like in the text? Someone from this side, really quick. All right, someone from this side? Anybody? Discipleship. Making a follower of Jesus. Making a follower of Jesus. Yes, yes, that's another way of saying follower of Jesus. Disciple, synonymous, okay. Believing in Jesus. Very good, very good. Now, I kind of I messed with you just a little bit just now. Um, thank you for joining us. We have a handout here. I just want to give that to you. All right. We just started with the first text there, the Gospel Commission text, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Evangelism and discipleship cannot be separated. Would you agree with that? They are related. 
One leads to the other. Evangelism leads to discipleship. Our proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ leads to the making of disciples. And often we celebrate that at the baptism. But we got to understand that's not the end of the journey. That is the beginning of the journey. Jesus didn't end with baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. After you've preached that evangelistic meeting, that sermon, people respond, they get baptized, the work has just begun. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look from the Bible, how did the disciples fulfill what Jesus just commissioned them to do? Then we're going to come into your neighborhood in the 21st century and look at how we can do what he called us to do. Okay? So I just want to quickly move forward to Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. I recently preached a two-part sermon series, one on Acts chapter 1, the other on Acts chapter 2 at our church, and we actually sought to journey and replicate what happened in those two chapters. So let's just quickly look. Did they fulfill what Jesus called them to do? We get excited, we look at the imagery on the screen, and we see the preaching of the gospel. We were talking about evangelism just now, and we immediately thought about sharing the word and the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. And then we think about Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell and the tongues of fire fell on them, and we see the 3,000 that were baptized, and we get excited. But I, as I just stated, the work just began with those that responded that were cut to the heart after hearing Peter's sermon. The work really just began. So what happened after the baptisms? Let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is going to be very familiar to all of us. But I want us to look at it and ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to us as to how we can glean from it what discipleship looks like then and what it can look like today post-baptism, after someone is baptized. Let's just quickly read through it, okay? Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And they continued, what does it say? Steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine, that's the word of God centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And fellowship, right? And in the breaking of bread, they ate together. And in prayers, they prayed together. Uh, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and, and divided them among all as anyone had need. They ministered to one another's needs. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, that's the large corporate gathering of believers, and breaking bread from house to house, from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, and I love how it ends again, almost like the ending of a beautiful story. And the Lord added to them daily those that were being saved. So I just want you to quickly, again, get in your same group. And for another 60 seconds, one minute, take the time to quickly discuss what does post-baptism discipleship look like in the first century church, based on what we just read. I'll put it back on the screen for you. But what... Does post-baptism, in other words, after they're baptized, after the 3,000 were baptized, that megachurch, if you will, 
What did post-baptism discipleship look like in the first century church, and what does it typically look like today in the 21st century, maybe in your church, or maybe in a church that you're familiar with? Just take 60 seconds with those in your group and quickly discuss that. Everybody understands what they're doing? What did it look like in their time after they were baptized? And what does it look like in your church now? Take another 10 seconds. All right. Great. I'm hearing, I heard some really good things coming from you. Just really quickly, just maybe two volunteers. What did discipleship, remember the evangelism is what brought them to the point of baptism, but after their baptism, what did it look like in what we read? There was a lot of togetherness and an equality. Okay. Uh -huh. Togetherness. Any other nuances? Any other things that you saw that jumped out of you that communicated some of that or maybe something else? There was daily community. There was prayer. What else was there? Love. You got to say that loud. Love. Yes? Acceptance. What else did you see in the text? There was? They studied the word of God. They continued in the word. There was togetherness. Compassion. They were, they were demonstrating compassion for one another. Maybe the same type of compassion we see in Jesus, right, in, in the gospel narratives. It says he was moved with compassion when he saw the crowds. Yes, absolutely. Let's just quickly take a look. And, and by the way, maybe, what does that look like in your churches? When after, after baptism, what are you seeing in your churches now? Or maybe other churches. Maybe your church looks just like this one. Oh, we meet twice a week. Meet twice a week. Not daily. Not daily. Okay, okay, okay. We don't sell our <laughs> That's right. That's right. And again, the principle there was that they ministered to each other's needs. Okay. They helping. So you're saying in your church, you help each other. Praise God. I need to join your church then. Yes. Size of the church is a dynamic. Okay. Okay. Now there was 3,000 people that got baptized here. Okay. Awesome. Now I want to just quickly move into some of what we saw. I'm sorry? Did they have a church name, this 3,000? Like, Sligo has 3,000? There is a house church at this time. Now, I, I, 
Ah, ah, we'll say it again. They would have not all met in one church. We're, gonna, we're going to touch on that, and I'm glad you okay. brought that out because there is a level, and I think I heard it from someone, of, of uh, connectivity that's lost in a large. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38, and verse 41, again, they connected with Jesus Christ. You're going to hear that terminology from me a lot tonight. They connected with Jesus Christ, and by uh, the byproduct also, or by, or, or by extension, his message, his church, and that led them to join it through baptism. Would you agree? So that's what we see in the text. The, initi the, the initial uh, uh, post-baptism experiences, they connected with him through baptism, and then after that, we saw it. You just mentioned it. They grew in Jesus, right? They're now infants spiritually. Am I right? When someone is baptized, they're a babe in Jesus Christ. They're going to now learn to walk. They're going to grow. They're going to mature. How did they do that? They did that through devoting themselves to the Word of God to the Bible, to the Apostles' Doctrine, which is the gospel as it was explained and expounded in all of Scripture, correct? Prayer, they prayed together. And they experienced community through fellowship and food. I call it food evangelism. People develop connection and bonding when they eat together. And I wish I had time to expound on that a little bit more. How are you doing, Pastor? Yes. They each have one, correct? In your folders, there is an evaluation form. When we conclude this seminar, please fill out that evaluation form, okay? When we conclude this seminar, we're going to finish at 7.50, so in another 49 minutes, okay? Remember your evaluation form. They connected with Jesus Christ and his church through baptism. After that, they grew, studying the word of God, praying together, fellowshipping with one another. Someone said togetherness and, and equality. There was relationship. There was community. And this community took place in the context of homes, small gatherings, large group that was baptized, large church. But they gather not only together corporately in, in, in the larger sense in, their te in the temple, but they gathered from house to house. What does our church look like today? Are we seeing that today? Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. Let's examine that today. Then, the next thing we saw in verse 45 is that, as we said, they served with Jesus. And that language is very intentional uh, because we're co-laboring with Jesus. As we serve one another, we are demonstrating the love of Christ. And Christ uh, is in us through the Holy Spirit. And so they served with Jesus by ministering to each other's needs, okay, within the community. The next thing we see is in verse 46 to 47. Pay close attention to the context by which this happens. It says here, uh, they go for Jesus. Go is just echoing the gospel commission, okay? So they go. They shared their faith and saw the results, reaped the results. But look at the context by which that took place. Pay close attention. They gathered together in the temple, okay? They gathered, large corporate gathering. But they also met together from house to house, within their community. And in that context, the Bible says in verse 47, that the Lord, Jesus himself, added to them daily those that were being saved. Jesus could trust them with the harvest in that type of community. You see, when we do evangelism, we got to understand Jesus is the master evangelist. He goes before us. Jesus is already doing a work on the hearts of the people that he brings us to to communicate the gospel. He's already dealing with them, so he just needs us to come alongside them and help them connect the dots. And in this type of community, loving community, meeting from house to house, it's a safe place for people to grow. Jesus could trust the church 
with those people that were surrounding them that he wanted to get the gospel to get. Are, are you feeling me tonight? So let's, let's continue on. It's from this principle that our church has put together an annual process of evangelism and discipleship. Remember, the two are related. We cannot separate the two. The evangelism leads to a person now beginning their journey in growing in Jesus Christ as a disciple, so the evangelism leads to the discipleship. That's my responsibility as an associate pastor at Restoration Praise Center. I facilitate the process at our church of evangelism and discipleship, and it's one of the best things that I've ever done in my life. I love it. I get up every day and I love what I do. Part of my responsibility also is the internet campus that we have at our church. But I just want to share with you a four-step process of evangelism and discipleship that I really believe will be beneficial to you. I believe you'll find it practical and organic, and it's coming straight out of the Word of God, which we just read. That four-step process is what we actually just read in the Scripture. You can pull other Scriptures together to bring out these same principles, but I wanted us to just quickly look at just one because of, of time, okay? And that is, and you, may, you may want to write this down in your handouts under where it says evangelism and discipleship in four simple steps. Number one, connect with Jesus. We're talking about someone who has now been brought to the point of baptism. They've connected with Jesus Christ in his church through baptism. The next step in their process of discipleship is for them to now to grow in Jesus. They're, they're a babe in Christ. They now need to grow in him, so grow in Jesus. And in the context of a growing disciple of Jesus Christ, they naturally, the outgrowth of that is to serve. Okay? To serve with Jesus. And then that also produces someone who goes for Jesus. So let's just start with connect. In this four-step process of evangelism and discipleship, we're talking initially about the evangelism. We talked about the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, the everlasting gospel in our context, and I'm, in, I'm excited about it. The everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' message. And I'm really excited about it because it's all about Christ, as we'll discover. But there are several ways, and I love, by the way, the, the harvest imagery in the gospel in the New Testament when it talks about spreading the good news of the gospel in the context of the harvest, right? Sowing, which leads to now cultivating, and then you reap the harvest. And so this is what uh, our connect, if you will, is based on. Sowing, cultivating, and reaping. There are several ways, and you could all probably share with me, this is not an exhaustive list, but there are several ways by which one can sow the seeds of the gospel. I personally believe from personal experience and what I also read in the New Testament, I personally believe through relationships and friendships is the best way. I believe in the context of a trusted relationship I am not merely a candidate when you're trying to sow the seed of the gospel to me. I'm not merely a baptismal interest. I'm a friend. I'm developing a relationship with you as my soon-to-be brother or sister in Christ. So that's the mindset by which you should approach the person that you're trying to win to Christ and, and the message of our church. I really believe in the context of loving relationships is where we see the best results. Would you agree? But there are other ways that we can also sow the seeds of the good news, and that is door-to-door. -door. You may want to pass out literature. That's also through media and internet, social media. Our church broadcasts our services on Praise Vision. 
an Adventist media website where we can now broadcast our services, and we got hundreds of people that are viewing our services every week. That's another way of sowing the seeds of the good news of the gospel. Can you tell me more about this praise? Praise Vision. The website is praise with a Z. You'll see it up there on the screen with a Z. Praisevision.com. I highly recommend you may want to check it out. Praisevision.com. Okay. Our church also does something. Uh, your church may do something similar. It's called uh, God, the, the Great Commission Sabbath. And so that's a Sabbath where we end church early. We may dress a little bit more casually, have a boxed lunch, and then go out into the community and do community service, go out into the community, spread the gospel, maybe passing out literature. These are just other ways of sowing the seeds of the gospel. Every ministry is evangelistic, your men's ministry, your women's ministry, your pathfinders ministry. Every, every ministry is not just for us to be served. It's so that we can also reach the men in our communities through our men's ministry. The women in our communities through our women's ministry, the children's ministry should be drawing people from the community. Every ministry ultimately is about winning souls. Would you agree? Every ministry is evangelistic. Also, I believe fun is evangelistic. I'm going to say it again. Fun, having a good time. We're all Christians here, so I'm talking about clean Christian fun here. But being social is evangelistic. People create memories. People bond when they connect with you and get a sense of belonging. And once they feel like they belong, they will want to believe what you believe, and then they will become what you have become in Christ. So they belong, then they believe, and then they'll become. I believe that fun is evangelistic. And then also, as we're going to discuss grow groups, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but that is geographically located, small groups. And we saw that as we talked about it in the book of Acts. They met from house to house. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Anything that we do as a church, anything you do as a believer has the potential to spread the seeds of the gospel. Someone watching your life can sow the seed of the gospel. But then, after you have developed a trusting relationship with the person that you are trying to communicate the gospel with, I believe, based on what we just read in Scripture and throughout the New Testament, one of the best ways to now nurture or cultivate that relationship with someone who is who is becoming uh, interested in the good news of Christ and the everlasting gospel is through small groups. I believe in the context of relationship, the seed of the gospel takes deeper root. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so when he draws them to us as we lift him up, he also says in John chapter 13, verse 36, he says, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The greatest, I think, foundational principle of evangelism is loving relationships. And so within these grow groups or small groups, some of the, some of the, some of the uh, characteristics is prayer. We saw that in the text. They prayed together in these home gatherings. And then, of course, Someone may be interested in studying the Bible. They may want to start to believe after they've felt the sense of belonging. They may want to start to believe what you believe. So a one-on-one -on -one Bible study may uh, result out of this grow group experience. Right now, we have uh, two grow groups in Laurel at our church that I'm really excited about. One, um, this young lady named Nikki. And Nikki, oh, actually, no, 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 let me back up. This is actually someone that I um, met at my church in Atlanta when I was there. 
And um, my pastor introduced me to her. She comes from a Pentecostal background. And um, she was married to a, a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, they were very young. They were about 19, 20 years old. Um, 18, thank you. Young, young. They started young. And immediately we invited them. She had not been baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist, but they came to our small group that met on Friday nights. We turned our family worship on Friday nights into a small group where we invited our friends and those that we were interested in inviting to become a part of our church. And in that context of loving relationships, as we studied the Bible, we came across unique Seventh-day Adventist beliefs within the context of the gospel, correct? And it, I mean, she, as she saw what we believe, the Sabbath, the sanctuary, you name it, in the light of the gospel, she wanted it. Uh, you know, if she saw Jesus in it, I want the Sabbath if I know I'm resting in him on the seventh day. Amen? And it, it, she came to me and said, can I please be baptized into your church? But after she was baptized, she continued in our small group. And they tell you statistically, in the Adventist church, but also in larger other denominations, if someone gets baptized and doesn't make at least six to seven friends, the chances are they're going to leave your church. So it's not just the message. It's meaningful relationships that keeps people in the church. But another group right now, there's a story uh, of a young lady named Amanda. She uh, uh, was introduced to our group, our current girl group in Laurel, that meets in my apartment. Uh, she was introduced to our group through a friend who works for a tutoring company, and she was being tutored um, math. Now, I'm not the best at math, but thank God we have someone in our group that is. And she was tutoring this young lady and found out that she had a spiritual interest. And this young lady um, is not a part of any particular denomination, believe it or not, but she believes in God. She believes in Jesus Christ and has an interest in the Bible. Well, there are some people that are not going to grace this building. There are some people that are not going to grace the building of my church for whatever reason. But they'll come to my apartment for some food and for some refreshments and to study the Word of God. At our church, we've coined it this way. We are taking people from the conference room to the living room to the big room. We're taking them from the conference room. That's just language for wherever your sphere of influence is, your job, your neighborhood, your coworker, or your school, to the living room, your home. Remember, they met from house to house, and then to the larger corporate gathering, the big room. Amanda right now is interested in our church. And this is something that I'm currently experiencing right now. She has no, I mean, it's almost like God just like it said, he, he added to the church daily those that are being saved. God trusted us with Amanda. She's interested in the Holy Spirit. She's interested in the Bible. And we have in the context of our small group the ability now to share with her what we believe. And I believe it's very soon that we'll see her come to the big room, if you will. But she's open to the gospel when she's in that safe, loving environment. But oftentimes we get the chance to see the fruit of our labors. That's reaping. Under connect, this is reaping. All right? I call it connect events, but we also call it reaping opportunities. And this takes the place of your worship service. Every worship service is the opportunity for you to call somebody to decision to be baptized, to follow Jesus Christ and to join his church and to believe the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Every service is an opportunity to call someone to Christ. You can also, on the back of your handouts, write any notes that you would like to, to take if there's not enough space here on the front. Every revival, obviously, evangelistic series is an opportunity, especially in the context of, of, of our church, to call people to decision to join God's last day church. 
And then, of course, within the context of your small group, the Bible says the Lord added to them daily those that were being saved, and it was in the context of their gathering from house to house. That's another opportunity. You may know of some other opportunities, maybe one-on-one, but oftentimes we get the opportunity now to reap from what we've sown and from what we've cultivated. Are you with me? I'm going to share with you now from some of his writings. Um, He is a... uh, a professor emeritus and evangelist emeritus within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He is retired, but he often still teaches at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary, from which I graduated in August. He's written several books, which you can find at your local ABC. But here are some of them that uh, influence some of what I'm going to share with you tonight. Um, Revolution in the Church is a wonderful book, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about uh, what uh, I recommend from that book. And then also there is How to Grow an Adventist Church. That's an excellent resource on church growth and evangelism. He also wrote a book called Waking the Dead. Now, I know that's not your church, but, but, but you know, you may want to be equipped on how to do that. But Russell Burrow now breaks down, what does this mean? When someone now has connected with the Seventh-day Adventist Church, when they've connected with Christ, what does that look like for the new believer? Number one, they accept Christ as Savior. Christianity 101. He's our Savior from sin. But now they have now committed to him being the Lord of their life. And that's demonstrated in him becoming Lord of their their bodies, Lord of their time, Lord of their resources, Lord of their money. He's becoming Lord of my life. He has say in my life. I, I, I joyfully do what he says because he saved me. Okay? There's also the acquaintance and, and basic understanding of our Christ-centered 28 fundamental beliefs. Remember. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of what? Of me, Jesus says. And so therefore, every doctrine, every teaching we get from the word of God must have that central focus, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's really the power of what saves. That's what causes people to be converted to our messages when we lift him up in it. He said, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. And then, of course, they join the church through baptism. But what happens after they have been baptized?